Hey everybody, this is Jerry from jerryfarney.com. And today I thought I'd talk a little bit about virtual reality. I know most of you have probably heard about it. It's not, it's not very popular in healthcare, although we're starting to see it a little bit on the fringes. Uh, virtual reality is kind of an immersive multimedia experience where you can uh, recreate real-world images, uh, places, etc., and you can interact with them. It, it's pretty amazing stuff. Uh, recently, I had an opportunity to uh, try out virtual reality by way of a Samsung Gear VR headset. In December, I bought a Samsung Galaxy Note 5, best smartphone I've ever had. That's another podcast. But one of the deals that Samsung was offering is they were offering you a $100 uh, gift card, basically, to spend on their website for purchasing a Note 5. And uh, the Samsung Gear VR headset, which is their virtual reality headset, it's powered by Oculus, was uh, listed at $149 and went on sale for $99. And so I, I used the $100 to grab it. Uh, it was on back order for a short period of time, and then it showed up on my doorstep. And I was a little leery of it, right? You know, you, you put on this headset, and I really didn't know what to expect. And it turns out that it's really quite impressive. Uh, I did some virtual tours of some places in Rome, uh, you know, Colosseum and other places, and, and I, was, I was floored. If you let yourself get into it, it really is quite immersive. You can walk around uh, inside. You can move left to right. You can look at things, and it's it's a 3D image. Uh, do you feel like you're there? Well, not not with the the Samsung Gear VR. You don't. I've heard that with some of the higher end sets that you you can actually get lost in there. But I mean, I knew the whole time that I was wearing a headset. But it was really quite impressive, and I can see uh, quite a few uses for this. Now, we're coming off CES 2016, which was, was held in Las Vegas, and there was a lot of virtual reality talk. And uh, th there's basically several tiers of virtual reality uh, equipment. And you have things like Google Cardboard. Uh, it's definitely the cheapest, and it's the easiest to get. And the nice thing is that it works on any device, Android or iOS. That's larger. The device has to be larger than 6 inches. There are a lot of really cool versions of Google Cardboard, and if you have a chance, go to their website and check it out. It's it's pretty neat, pretty interesting, and you can basically grab one on Amazon for you know around twenty bucks. So if you want to just test it out, uh, you know that's probably the cheapest, easiest ways to go. Then you have the next tier, which is kind of the Samsung Gear VR, which is targeted you know directly at you know the run of the mill mainstream consumer. It runs about 100 bucks, uh, especially right now. I think it's still at, at $99. And it works with the uh, Samsung flagship phones, so it's compatible with their Galaxy Note 5, the S6 Edge Plus, S6, and S6 Edge. Uh, so if you have one of those devices, you know, for around 100 bucks, you can play with what I consider a pretty decent uh, VR headset. And then, of course, you have Oculus Rift. It's definitely the leader in the market. As a matter of fact, I mentioned that Samsung Gear VR was powered by Oculus. The product is currently available for pre-order on the website if you want to go get it, and it's going to cost you somewhere in the neighborhood of $500. Bucks. Um, if everything that I've read about it is true, it's, it's going to be really, really awesome. If, uh, if it's significantly better than the Samsung Gear VR, I would consider getting one. It's, it's that neat. And then you have these much more uh, 
involve virtual reality systems like the HTC Vive, uh, which I uh, listened to a podcast on last night. And uh, the people who had tried that at uh, CES were very impressed with it. It's completely immersive. It's a full room experience. It allows you to move around and do other things that maybe you can't do with the Gear VR, uh, or I don't know, maybe or maybe not with the, the Oculus Rift. We'll have to wait and see. And then, of course, there's things like Microsoft HoloLens, but that's not quite the definition of virtual reality. As I understand, it's more of an augmented reality where it uses real-world items and, and kind of augments what you're doing. I'm not quite clear on that. I tried uh, reading a little bit, finding out more, but there's just not much there. It's also going to be very expensive, the, the Microsoft product. It's also had some, some negative press by being uh, possibly uh, the most expensive product on the market. And uh, there's been some issues, I guess, with the, the field of view not being quite so great. Um, you know, if you hop over to therot.com, he has some things to say about it in his archive and just possibly Google, you know, a bad field of vision for Microsoft HoloLens or, or something like that, and, and you'll find everything you need to read about that. Now, in terms of application, virtual reality has, has many applications in a lot of different industries, especially gaming. I think right now that's where everybody is looking. Everybody wants to talk about gaming and virtual reality simply because it is an immersive experience. It, it takes you from that kind of 2D playing platform to a full 3D experience where you can get into the game. I can imagine a first-person shooter in virtual reality being, being really impressive. Uh, if you also think about it, some of the higher-end systems put you on a treadmill with a VR helmet and a, a VR gun, and you could run all over the place. I, I, it could be very, very interesting, very fun. And that's where I think most of the interest lies, and that's probably where most of the market's going to go. But I also think there's a market for this stuff in, in healthcare. Obviously, that's where my interests lie, so I, I think everything should be used in healthcare. I mean, we've all heard the story about the Google Cardboard being used by, uh, I think it's Nicholas Children's Hospital in Miami. They used it to preview surgery on a heart and uh, heart and lungs for an infant that had been born uh, with with significant problems. The, the infant was missing one lung and half a heart. And according to the article, the hospital told the parents there was nothing they can do, sent the infant home on hospice care. And uh, they tried and tried and tried to get in, in contact with other hospitals. One that was specifically mentioned was a hospital in Boston, and that didn't materialize. They uh, supposedly found one of the best pediatric surgeons in the country in uh, this Miami facility, and these physicians agreed to do the surgery. They used uh, images of uh, the infant's lungs and heart to create 3D images, which they were actually going to use a 3D printer to create a model of to kind of prep for the surgery. And as it turns out, their 3D printer was broken. So when technology's great, it's great. And when it doesn't work, it's not so great. And uh, instead, they decided to use the Google Cardboard to view the images in 3D and look at better ways or different ways to approach the incision site and how to do the repair. And as it turns out, uh, it, was, it was very helpful. Uh, I, would, I would highly encourage you to go and Google you know, Google Cardboard Saves Child Life or something like that. And you'll, you'll find plenty of articles to read. Uh, and, and it's very interesting how they use the product to basically get an advanced preview in 3D of the infant's problems so they could go in uh, and use a kind of a different method, a less risky method to do the surgery. And last I read, the infant was recovering and doing well, and they expected the baby to go home at some point. So very impressive from a little $20 piece of Google Cardboard. 
So where do I see this being used in pharmacy? Well, I think it could be used uh, significantly in training, especially technicians and pharmacists. Uh, let me give you an example of uh, training a technician. Anything that requires a hands-on approach, let's say a tube station, uh, how to fill uh, an automated dispensing cabinet, how to use good sterile technique, how to prepare hazardous drugs such as chemotherapy, anything that requires one person to train another person that requires time, energy, effort, and possibly multiple sessions could be used with these, uh, these VR goggles. Let's say a technician needs to know how to compound uh, chemotherapy. In the real world, you have to go over a few steps before you enter the clean room. Typically, the technician is already trained in the sterile process. They gown up, uh, they have a mentor that goes into the hood or into the clean room with them, and uh, the technician walks them through the process. And it typically requires more than one attempt to get them comfortable with the process. I mean, it, it's different, and it requires different manipulation, uh, different cleanup, uh, even a different hood in most cases. What would be nice is if you could use one of these 360-degree cameras to film the process in advance. And then you would simply have the technician, uh, the trainee, put the goggles on, and they could walk through the process. And what's nice about it is that they could slap on the headset, and they can do this in 3D. And they can walk through the process as many times as they want. They can walk around inside uh, the 3D image. They can get different views. They can get closer. They can move back. It's really, really a great process. And it doesn't require anything super special. It requires these cheap goggles and a way to you know, create the VR content. Some people may argue that a video would suffice, but if, you know, video is 2D. Wherever you put the camera, that's kind of what you get. With these 360-degree cameras and with the virtual reality, you can, you can walk around. You could get uh, on the back side, for example, of where the technician is uh, you know, putting the needle into the vial, and you could look at how the technician's holding the vial. You could look and see from the side how the airflow in the hood is working. You could do a lot of different things. And let's take a look at what you could possibly do uh, for training pharmacists. Something that immediately came to mind was training a pharmacist how to perform or how to work on a code. So when I was a, a rookie pharmacist, I worked in a hospital in Salinas that we had a lot of codes. We were, we were a heart center. We did a lot of caths, and we had a lot of heart attacks come in through the place. And I kind of learned trial by fire. You know, I, have, I received all the training when I came on board, but the first time you ever go to that code, it's, it's kind of nerve-wracking. You know, you're, you're claiming your space, you're claiming the drugs, you're getting things uh, prepped in an order that you think they would be asked for, which is, is pretty standardized these days. And um, even though it, it seems really easy, uh, there's something to it. And, and there's a comfort zone that you need to have to be able to do it quickly, efficiently, and with some confidence as well. You need to be able to intervene when necessary. Now, I imagine something like they're using at Stanford where they're uh, using the virtual reality headsets to train quarterbacks how to recognize different defenses, uh, how to read hot receivers, and how to read blitzes, and, and things like that. And I imagine in this situation, you could film uh, or create uh, virtual reality scenarios for different types of codes, and you could have the pharmacist respond to them in the virtual world. I think it's a great way to train them. Now, let's take this even one step further. When I transitioned from adult medicine to pediatric medicine, I had been working in adult medicine for several years, and I was quite comfortable on uh, codes and code situations. 
but with pediatrics, it's a, it's a completely different world. And the reason is you may be working on a, you know, a 1400 gram neonate, or you could be working on a 200 pound, you know, 13 or 14 year old child. And there's a very different approach. You're also creating and making and mixing drugs at the bedside um, that you would not do in an adult code. And for that purpose, it actually took me a little while to get used to the idea of making those things on the fly. Even though I had training, they did a good job of training me. They would run you through scenarios, but it was, it's not the same. You know, I, as a pharmacist, I could, I could slap on a pair of goggles and I could run through any code scenario that I wanted to, especially if I'd been to a code scenario or a code situation where I felt uncomfortable. I could go back to the pharmacy I could put on the goggles and I could run through those scenarios for those, let's say, a range of, of uh, infants, and I could get familiar with the process, all the drugs involved. You know, I could get familiar with what was needed in what order and just get more comfortable with the situation. I see that as a tremendous benefit uh, to virtual reality, potentially in the pharmacy. And then, uh, you know, what about the vendors in this space? I think it'd be great if some of the vendors would make virtual content for training you know, nothing takes the place of the hands-on training. With a lot of the products that are on the market, uh, the information can be tacit. I mean, it, that is, it's, it could be difficult to write down or explain, and nothing replaces the hands-on experience. And in this case, with a virtual headset and some virtual content, you know, you can, once again, you could look at the live training in a 3D perspective over and over and over again until you felt comfortable with it. And I just... I think it would be beneficial to the vendors, especially in certain applications, automated dispensing cabinet vendors, hood vendors come to mind, you know, how to work in a hood, uh, especially the difference between a vertical laminar airflow, a, a biological safety cabinet versus an isolator. I just think it would be really good for vendors to take a look and maybe, I don't know, invest some time, energy, and effort. Like I said, it doesn't seem to be expensive. It doesn't seem to be that complicated and that complex now. And it's only going to get better as we move forward, especially as we see things like Oculus Rift and the HTC Vive. I think the Vive is an extraordinary, could be an extraordinary tool for pharmacy because it gives you that entire room immersion. So you could create a virtual clean room using HTC Vive. I know Purdue, uh, I believe it's Purdue University, has a virtual clean room. And, uh, you know, everything they've said, uh, they say it's wonderful. They think it's wonderful. They love it. They said that's been great for their students, great for the pharmacist, etc. And I think you can now uh, maybe even do a better job of this with these, these virtual reality headsets. So I would love to see somebody take just a little bit of time, energy, and effort and introduce, I don't know, maybe some type of training product uh, for pharmacy. It doesn't have to be anything significant. It could be something simple. But I would love to see that in the near future. I just think for the cost of these things, you know, the gear, Samsung Gear VR, around 100 bucks. And you need a smartphone if you even have to invest in one of the high-end smartphones. You're talking $700. So for less than $1,000, you have the equipment that you need to view or interact with the, the virtual reality content. So anyway, that's my thought. Uh, if you have a different opinion or if you know of anybody that's using any type of virtual reality headsets in pharmacy training uh, or any vendors, I'd love to hear some from any vendors that are, are thinking about doing this. You know, feel free to uh, get in touch. I can be reached at jerry at jerryfarney.com uh, or leave me a comment uh, on my website. Thanks for listening.